Chapter Nineteen of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. April's Lady by Margaret Wolf Hungerford. Chapter Eighteen. A continual battle goes on in a child's mind between what it knows and what it comprehends well says he he advances even nearer and dropping on a stone close to her takes possession of one of her hands as you can't make up your mind to him and as you say you like me say something more more yes a great deal more take the next move say boldly that you will marry me joyce grows a little pale she has certainly been prepared for this speech had been preparing herself for it all the long weary wakeful night yet now that she hears it it seems as strange as terrible as though it had never suggested itself to her in its vaguest form why should i say that says she at last stammering a little and feeling somewhat disingenuous she had known yet now she is trying to pretend that she did not know because i ask you you see i put the poorest reason at first and because you say i am not hateful to you and because well because when a man's last chance of happiness lies in the balance he will throw his very soul into the weighing of it and knowing this you may have pity on me as though pressed down by some unsupportable weight the girl rises and makes a little curious gesture as if to free herself from it her face still pale betrays an inward struggle after all why cannot she give herself to him why can't she love him he loves her love as some poor fool says begets love and he is honest yes honest a pang shoots through her breast that when all is told is the principal thing he is not uncertain untrustworthy double-faced as some men are again that cruel pain contracts her heart to be able to believe in a person to be able to trust implicitly in each lightest word to read the real meaning in every sentence to see the truth shining in the clear eyes this is to know peace and happiness and yet you know all says she looking up at him her eyes compressed her brow frowning i am uncertain of myself nothing seems sure to me but if you wish it wish it clasping her hands closer there is this to be said then i will promise to answer you this day twelve months twelve months says he with concertation his grasp on her hands loosens 
if the prospect frightens or displeases you there is nothing more to be said rejoins she coldly it is she who is calm and composed he is nervous and anxious but a whole year that is nothing says she releasing her hands with a little determined show of strength from his it is for you to decide i don't care perhaps she hardly grasps the cruelty that lies in this half impatient speech until she sees dysart's face flush painfully you need not have said that says he i know it i am nothing to you really he pauses and then says again in a low tone nothing oh you mustn't feel so much cries she as if tortured it is folly to feel at all in this world what's the good of it and to feel about me i am not worth it if you would only bear that in mind it might help you if i bore that in mind i should not want to make you my wife returns he steadily gravely think as you will yourself you do not shake my faith in you well with a deep breath i accept your terms for a year i shall feel myself bound to you though that is a farce for i shall always be bound to you soul and body while you shall hold yourself free and try to no no we must both be equal both free while i she stopped short coloring warmly and laughing what is it i am to try to do to love me replies he with infinite sadness in look and tone yes says joyce slowly and then again meditatively yes she lifts her eyes presently and regards him strangely and if all my trying should not succeed if i never learn to love you why then it is all over this hope of mine is at an end says he so calmly yet with such deep melancholy such sad foreboding that her heart is touched oh it is a hope of mine too says she quickly if it were not would i listen to you to-day but you must not be so downhearted let the worst come to the worst you will be as well off as you are at this instant he shakes his head does hope count for nothing then you would compel me to love you says she growing the more vexed as she grows the more sorry for him would you have me marry you even if i did not love you her soft eyes have filled with tears there is a suspicion of reproach in her voice no i suppose not he half turns away from her at this moment a sense of despair falls on him she will never care for him never never this proposed probation is but a mournful farce a sorry clinging to a hope that is built on sand when in the future she marries as so surely she will he will not be her husband 
why not give in at once why fight with the impossible why not break all links frail as they are sweet and let her go her way and he his while yet there is time to falter is to court destruction then all at once a passionate reaction sets in joyce looking at him sees the light of battle the warmth of love the unconquerable spring into his eyes no he will not cave in he will resist to the last dispute every inch of the ground and if finally only defeat is to crown his efforts still and why should defeat be his be it beauclerk or another whoever declares himself his rival shall find him a formidable enemy to overcome joyce says he quickly turning to her and grasping her hands give me my chance give me those twelve months give me your thoughts now and then while they last i brought you here to-day to say all this knowing we should be alone and without tommy says she with a little laugh oh well you must confess i got rid of him says he smiling too and glad in his heart to find her so cheerful i think if you look into it that my stragum the enticing him to the overcoming of his sister in that race was the work of a diplomatist of the first water i quite felt that a war whoop behind him dissolves his self gratulations into nothing here comes tommy the valiant triumphant puffed beyond all description with pride and want of breath i beat her i beat her shrieks he with the last note left in his tuneful pipe he staggers the last yard or two and falls into joyce's arms that are open wide to receive him who shall say he is not a happy interlude evidently joyce regards him as such i came back to tell you says tommy recovering himself a little i knew with the fearless confidence of childhood that you'd be longing to know if i beat her and i did she's down there how with bridgie pointing to the valley beneath and she's mad with me because i didn't let her win you ought to go back to her says dysart she'll be madder if you don't she won't she's picking daisies now but bridget will want you no shaking his lovely little head bridgie said ye may go sir and ye needn't be in a hurry back me and mickey dally have a lot to say about me mother's daughter it would be impossible to describe the accuracy with which tommy describes bridget's tone and manner oh i dare say says mr dysart me mother's daughter must be a truly enthralling person i think tommy ought to be educated for the stage says joyce in a little whisper he'll certainly make his mark wherever he goes says dysart laughing tommy 
after a careful examination of monkton jr's seraphic countenance don't you think you ought to take your sister on to the court so i will says tommy in a minute or two he has climbed into joyce's lap and is now sitting on her with his arms round her neck to make love to a young woman and to induce her to marry you with a barnacle of this sort hanging round her suggests difficulties mr dysart waits all things come to those who wait says a wily old proverb but dysart proves this proverb a swindle now tommy says he the two minutes are up i don't care says tommy i'm tired and bridgie says i needn't hurry the charms of mr mickey dally are no doubt great says dysart mildly yet i think bridget must by this time be aware that she wasn't sent out by your mother to tattle to him but to take you and your sister to play with bertie here tommy decisively get off your aunt's lap and run away but why demands tommy aggressively what harm am i doing you are tiring your aunt for one thing i am not she likes to have me here defiantly i ride a cock-horse every night when she's at home don't i joyce i wish you'd go away wrathfully because then joyce would come home and play with us again tis you glaring at him with deep-seated anger in his eyes who are keeping her here oh no you are wrong there says dysart with a sad smile i could not keep her anywhere she would not stay with me but really tommy you know you ought to go to the court poor little bertie is looking out for you eagerly see plunging his hand into his pocket here is half a crown for you to spend on lollipops i'll give it to you if you'll go back to bridget tommy's eyes brighten but as quickly the charming blue in them darkens again there is no tuck shop between this and the court tisn't any good says he mournfully the shop's away down there pointing vaguely backward on the journey he has come you look strong in wind and limb there is no reason to believe that moral sun may not dawn on you says mr dysart and then think tommy think what a joy you will be to old molly brin molly gives me four bull's-eyes for a penny says tommy reflectively that's two to mabel and two to me because mammy says baby mustn't have any for fear she'd choke if there's four for a penny how many is there for this holding out the half-crown that lies upon his little brown shapely palm that's a sum says mr dysart tommy you're a cruel boy and having struggled with it for a moment he says one hundred and twenty no says tommy in a voice faint with hopeful unbelief joyce 
tisn't true is it quite true says joyce just fancy tommy one hundred and twenty bull's-eyes all in one day there is such a genuine support of his desire to get rid of tommy in her tone that dysart's heart rises within him tie it into my handkerchief says tommy without another second's hesitation tie it tight or it'll slip out and i'll lose it good-bye and thank you mr dysart thrusting a hot little fist into his i'll keep some of the hundred and twenty ones for you and joyce he rushes away down the hill eager to tell his grand news to mabel and presently joyce and dysart are alone again you see you were not so clever a diplomatist as you thought yourself says joyce smiling faintly tommy came back tommy and i have one desire in common we both want to be with you could you be bought off like tommy says she half playfully oh no half a crown would not be good enough would all the riches the world contains be good enough says he in a voice very low but full of emotion you know it would not but you joyce twelve months is a long time you may see others if not beauclerk others and money would not tempt me says the girl slowly if money were your rival you would indeed be safe you ought to know that still joyce he stopped suddenly may i think of you as joyce i have called you so once or twice but you may always call me so says she gently if indifferently all my friends call me so and you are my friends surely the very sweetness of her manner cold as ice as it is dries him to desperation not your friend your lover says he with sudden passion joyce think of all that i have said all you have promised a small matter to you perhaps the whole world to me you will wait for me for twelve months you will try to love me you yes but there is something more to be said cries the girl springing to her feet as if in violent protest and confronting him with a curious look set determined a little frightened perhaps end of chapter nineteen recorded by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c